she went from political advertising to becoming a PhD in history. Today's guest, Dr. Lorena Chambers, highlights why remembering and archiving one's history for future generations remains important work. Dr. Chambers is doing just that through the Chicana's Changing History Project. This initiative documents and celebrates the lives of Chicana historians. Enjoy our conversation as we explore why recognizing the cultural contributions of those before us creates a ripple effect. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. Dr. Chambers is a postdoctoral research fellow in history and American culture at the University of Michigan. I must admit, it is such a personal pleasure and honor to celebrate and highlight Chicana historians during Women's History Month. Good afternoon. Today we have such a delight in that we're celebrating Women's History Month and we're focusing on the Latinas who are making a big impact and empowering our communities. And so today I have Dr. Lorena Chambers. She's a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Michigan. And, you know, there's so few Chicanas who are actually professional historians. So I'm really uh, happy to have her here with me because there's so few voices and we need Chicanas um, researching and interpreting American history because their voices are so many times unheard and it changes how we view history when we have different voices at the table. So welcome, uh, Dr. Lorena. How are you today? Dr. Houston, thank you. I am uh, delighted to be here. It is such a thrill to share this space and time with you, and frankly, an honor because we don't have these kinds of spaces dedicated to Latinas and African American women. So, thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for accepting uh, my invitation. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, being one of the uh, one recent graduate, I could say, uh, um, in the field of uh, Chicano history and studies and, and Chicana history and studies. And so um, before we, um, you know, delve into this great work you're doing through the Chicana's Changing History Project, which I'm really excited about talking to you about, but um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the field of studying history? What What is your background? What have you been doing for the last few years? I'm really excited to hear your historical trajectory. I thank you for that. I um, like to start these conversations by explaining that Chambers is a Mexican name, hmm. right? Because the way race is constructed in our country, people always wonder, right? Like, where did this name come from? And in fact, um, because of historical processes and immigration, immigration occurred all over the world. And so in the 1880s, um, this Scottish guy showed up in northern Mexico to work in the mines of um, Las Minas de Cananea and uh, basically stayed and 
created a family. And so I am the daughter of immigrants, both of whom are, um, they got married in Mexico in Tecate, Baja California, and they came over in the mid 60s. And so Chambers, I considered a very much a Mexican name. And my dad grew up being called Ed Chambers uh, when he was growing up there. And so um, it, my experience really is that of an immigrant family crossing over um, in the mid 60s and growing up in Southern California in the San Fernando Valley. So I do consider myself one of those original Valley girls, like totally. <laughs> so, um, and at that point, I can say that I'm a first generation st student and scholar. I am the first of my entire family extended family as well. Um, primos, primas, tios, tias, cousins to ever graduate from college. Um, and certainly at this point, uh, I'm so proud to have earned this doctorate from the University of Michigan. Um, part of that has to do with the insistence on my parents that in order to do well in this country, we needed to do well in school, right? And so, but they didn't have the tools to explain what that meant. So as we know, many people of color are first-generation students and we get there because we're smart, we're strategic, um, we have ganas, which um, means in, you know, incentive, um, and we want to do well. But once we get there, holy moly, like it's just a whole <laughs> other world, right? And it's it's tough. And so I grew up in Southern California. I attended UCLA, which I loved. And this is one of the stories where I share where my mom wanted me to go to another college, which was just five minutes away. And I said, no, mom, I, I don't know why, but I think UCLA is a better place for me. And so I commuted a whole 45 minutes away. And let me tell you, that was really tough, right? Convincing that I was going to move away mm -hmm. up and up, out of the valley, over the hill, over the, through the 405 and end up in Westwood. <laughs> Um, but I'm so glad I did. I had support once I got at UCLA and um, there you have it. And and I will fast forward by saying that then four years later as a senior, um, I had a professor who by chance caught me at the elevators in Bunch Hall. Anyone who knows UCLA knows that the history department is in Bunch Hall. And I was constantly in and out of um, that floor because I was working on an honors thesis as an undergraduate. Um, at the time, history was a huge major. It had 13, 14, 1,500 majors, mm. and only about five of us were doing honors theses. So we're, I was there all the time. And it was Professor George Sanchez, who was wow. <laughs> had not even finished his dissertation yet, and he was assigned that office in front of the elevators, right, the bad office that was in front of the elevators. So he kept seeing me come and go, come and go. And one day he stepped out, and he's like, excuse me, I are you my chance, Lorena Chambers? I go, well, I am. And he goes, would you happen to have time to step in my office? I, I would love to talk to you about your work. Like, Absolutely. And sure enough, he told me about this whole other world, which is PhDs, doctorates, uh, fellowships. I mean, after this two-hour conversation, I had a some sense that there was something aside from law school, which is where I was headed, right? Because that's all I really knew. That's why I was doing the honors thesis to get into a good law school. 
And it was really George Sanchez who, um, frankly, well, for better or for worse, changed my life forever. And uh, because, you know, these doctorates are difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was it. And, and so he encouraged me um, to apply and assisted me. And I surprisingly got this five-year fellowship um, at Michigan. I took the offer to other schools, including UCLA, and I got competing offer. So I didn't have to really worry about the um, financial economic basis for getting this doctorate. Because otherwise I, I would have said no, right? Like as working class first generation students were like, oh my God, you know, the loans. And anyhow, that's how I ended up at uh, Michigan, like which feels like a million years ago. And um, I ended up actually falling out of the program uh, for oh, so many structural reasons and um, and went off and had a different career in advertising and marketing uh, for uh, political candidates. And it was only after the horrible election outcome of 2016 that I stepped back and said, okay, what is it that I'm going to do with my life? Because I cannot continue just doing political advertising for, you know, President Obama and Democratic senators and uh, governors, which I think is really important for our community, but I need to do something else. And um, again, all by chance, you know, by chance, um, George Sanchez, by chance, others, and by chance, we ended up uh, at Yale University at um, in New Haven. My husband had received a fellowship and the individuals there, historian, wonderful dear friend, David Blight, said, we need to get you an office and library privileges so you can finish that dissertation. And it really, again, changed my life. And so there I was and um, in 2018 and 19 working on the dissertation. And uh, during the pandemic, I defended in 2020, like via Zoom, was one of the first Zoom defenses. And it is a very non-traditional story. Um, but I actually, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Mr. Forrest Bingham. He was um, a recruiter from UCLA and he was um, tasked with the job to recruit people of color in the Los Angeles area. And I remember my good friend in high school said, Lorena, I thought you wanted to go to UCLA. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm interested. She's like, well, you know, those applications are due in two weeks. I said, what? I didn't have any idea. And uh, so I marched myself to the counseling office and the counselor said, oh, um, yeah, they are due in two weeks. I go, well, I heard about this recruiter from UCLA. She's like, oh, yeah, Mr. Bingham, he's such a nice person, but he only works with with at that point with uh, minority students. Right. There wasn't the term students of color was not in minority students. I'm like, wait a minute. I go, just because I'm chambers doesn't mean I don't speak Spanish at home and I'm an immigrant family. She's like, oh my goodness. So she set me up. He pulled me out of class the next day. And at that point, I had two years of calculus under my belt. I was an AP student. I mean, I was just had been tracked to be in these courses. And he said, okay, we have 10 days to get this application together. And Mr. Bingham led me step by step as to what I needed to do to fill out this application because I was clueless. I had no idea. And so these are the chance interactions that we have 
with others who are dedicated to getting more of us into college, into school, and to do well. All of them have been chance, um, frankly, interactions. So yeah, so Mr. Bingham, George Sanchez, um, a whole cadre of advisors. Um, Robin Kelly was at Michigan when I was there. <laughs> um, there were so many amazing people there. Um, and now uh, Earl Lewis uh, came back into my life as well because he returned from you know, uh, being at the Mellon Foundation. Right. He's now back right. at Michigan. He's the, mm -hmm. he, he and George were co-chairs mm -hmm. of my dissertation. Wow. Like they are responsible for getting me through. Um, and then of course, David Blight, who said, make this happen. And uh, frankly, without that, I wouldn't have been able to finish. So I am here on Lily standing on the shoulders of so many others. You know, isn't it amazing how our families, particularly our parents, uh, make that difference in our lives in the mm -hmm. ways that they may not understand, but just by pushing you in a direction, they're really elevating you. Because as you know, in the African-American and uh, Mexican-American communities specifically, it is always the responsibility of the next generation to do better than the one before them, right? And that's the expectation, right? Absolutely. And so you have your parents, uh, George Sanchez, David Blight, uh, Robin Kelly, Earl Lewis, those great scholars uh, being a part of your life. But I'm so happy that you acknowledge uh, that recruiter from uh, UCLA, Forrest Bingham, uh, because a lot of times, uh, those people and names remain nameless, right? But they have a big impact in our life. So I'm sure um, uh, Mr. Bingham uh, is delighted that he, uh, that you acknowledge whether, uh, that he indeed had an impact on your life. And is, um, I'm really intrigued about your whole, advertising, marketing career, and then just making making that change into being a historian. Um, I know you said the elections, the outcome really changed, your, changed the trajectory of your life, but what was it that made you want to lead that particular career? What were you looking for in being a historian? I guess that's a better way to put it. Well, I felt... That's a great question, Dr. Houston. And um, I should clarify that I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up <laughs> because I um, I did help reelect um, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto last year. And so I feel very proud that I helped save, in my view, democracy uh -huh. because she was that winning vote for the U.S. Senate. Uh -huh. She is the first Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate. Um, and I have worked on electoral campaigns in Nevada. Uh, that would have been my 13th cycle. Like since 2000, I have worked on an election in Nevada every two years. Mm. And, um, and so I feel it's a very important part of my DNA because I lived in Washington, D.C. for so many years um, before moving to New Haven and then now to Ann Arbor. Um, but what it was is that again, going back to George Sanchez, who be, is a dear friend. And because we were in Washington, D.C., he would come every summer to visit and come over to the house to have dinner with my husband and me, and we would catch up. And right or 
around dessert time, he would always say every summer, so Lorena, how's that last chapter coming on oh, that see, dissertation? That he was your conscious. He was your conscious to say finish. <laughs> every year for 15 it. years. Yep. Yep. And he did it in a kind, loving way because he knew he had seen the work. I had four chapters written. Four chapters. And still there he said to me in 2015, he said, these are amazing chapters. No one has no one has touched this work. And it still would change borderlands and Chicano and Chicano history. You should really consider finishing. It was always that part. I love it. And that's and that's what it was. And so I said, okay. And so 2016, it was easy. And yeah. I did yeah. It was easy. Like, okay, I need to finish this because I, I felt like it was a monkey sitting on my back. <laughs> yeah, those projects that we start that we're supposed to finish, our conscious keeps it on, on us, you know? That's right. Uh, our spirit keeps it on our conscious. So let's talk about the projects you're doing right now. I'm really interested in you talking about the Chicana's Changing History Project and what that's about and how are you expecting this project to make an impact on our communities as well as empower our communities? Ooh, that's a big one, right? Thank you so much for that. So when I defended in 2020, as anyone who's defended their dissertation, the advice we get from our advisors, um, and this was Earl Lewis saying, you need to set aside the dissertation. You need to let it marinate and you need to just step away from it so that you can more ably adapt it into a manuscript. So I said, okay, so it, it was COVID. I said, I got to do something, but but people also may not know is like the adrenaline and you're like, you're at the apex of your brain functioning, right? Because you have written, revised and defended this work. And so I decided to check in with all of my friends I'd left behind in the academy, Vicky Ruiz, Natalia Molina, Miroslava Chavez. There you go. Oh my gosh. Um, Yes, Natalia and, and Vicky and Miros have been just so supportive of this project. And I checked in and we had this list that was started by Antonia Castañeda from the 90s. I remember having a number that I would be, that I'm going to be Chicana number 29 when I graduate, <laughs> right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And as it turns out, Natalia, you know, she's fantastic. And she ended up being, I think, 31 or 32 but because I had stepped away, I said, oh my gosh, there must be hundreds of us. Mm -hmm. There's got to be hundreds. Well, at that moment, uh, when I talked to Natalia, she said, you know what? We need to bring Vicky into this. So they scrambled, put together and uh, put this list forward. Well, wouldn't you know it? There weren't even a hundred of us. And I was appalled, appalled that in the 15, 20 years that I had stepped away like we, we couldn't even break 100. Yeah, and you know, that that's crazy. I know when I, I thought it was crazy when I was in school, I I studied under uh, Antonia Castaneda at the University of Texas. And I remember her talking about that in class or something that it was like less than 10 at that time. I think it might've been seven, maybe. I can't remember, right? but it was less than 10. And I was like, uh, the American Academy is however many years old, over 200 years old, and we don't have any Chicana historians. And then when I looked at my own life, I'm the second 
African-American uh, in, in woman in the state of Texas to get a PhD in history. So I was like, it's got to be, you know, worse for Chicanas, you know, um, being that, you know, we have a history of historically black colleges and universities that produce and, and things like that, but only the second one. And so this 50 list, it was yes. supposed to be over a hundred, right by now? Uh, hundreds. I thought, like, I just thought hundreds <laughs> and it wasn't. And so I wrote a proposal because mm. I had all this energy and I connected with my colleagues at the Smithsonian and I said, this is shocking. We need to do something. And um, my co-PI and uh, which is uh, Margie uh, Salazar Porzio, she too is... <laughs> A George Sanchez mentee. She worked with him and uh, he was on her committee at USC. She's a curator, a Latina curator at the National Museum of American History. She took the proposal. We worked on it. Fast forward, we were able to get funding from the Latino initiatives pool at the Smithsonian. I turned that around and got funding at Michigan because at that time we had been offered positions to come back to, you know, uh, as alums, come back to Michigan. And I got uh, funding to do work here at Michigan on it. Um, and so I said, okay, we need to celebrate the 50 years of the first 100. So as we cleaned up the list and added names, thank goodness. So I ended up being, I believe, number 104, 105. And now we're at 110, right? And so the last couple of years. So we're inching up a little bit. But that's how um, I reconnected with Antonia Castaneda, Dina Gonzalez, um, Cynthia, and all these the other folks. Yes, yeah, Cynthia Rosco, of course. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Cynthia. I mean, they're all dear friends now. And Emma Perez, right? And so they're thrilled about the project. And the idea is to collect these oral histories um, so that they're part of an archive. And the oral histories will sit and live at the University of Michigan. They've set up an entire oral history system so that we're able to hold them there. And the three-dimensional and material artifacts will be collected um, at the Smithsonian, at the National Museum of American History. So it's a partnership between the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History and the University of Michigan to document and celebrate the lives of these historians um, that we know very little about other than their published works, right? And so that's the importance of that um, collection and archive. It's about archive building. So and, tell us, yeah. if you don't mind, it, yeah. but tell us who the first five are. Oh, I'd have to look up my list. But unfortunately, we have five of these women who, have, uh, who are deceased. Okay. So number three is Dr. Gloria Miranda. She's, um, it, we're trying to, interview her for the OH coming up in Los mm -hmm. Angeles, the Organization of American Historians mm -hmm. Conference. Mm -hmm. Next month, we're trying to organize um, the time to film her on film. And so I know she's three. So I know that Shirlene um, Soto and uh, Virginia, I oh, know Virginia, I'm sorry. Mm, I'm going to look up the list because I have it here, um, are no longer with us, but I have the number. And I know that Antonia, Dina, and Cynthia are in the top. Okay. So here we and go. And Emma will probably be in the top 10 too. So Luis, Luis Añonuevo Kerr was, mm -hmm. uh, did, received her degree in 1976. Mm -hmm. um, Gloria Mananda in 78. 
um, Shirlene Soto has is deceased, and she was in 1980. And Vicky Ruiz is number four, Vicky. and from Stanford in 1982. And then we have Dina Gonzalez, mm -hmm. uh, then uh, Camille Garen Gonzalez, who has also passed, and then number seven is uh, Salome Hernandez, who has a really interesting story because she went into the foreign service. She did not go into the academy. So she was one of the um, first Chicana diplomats. Um, and we are also trying to get a hold of her, right? It's a lot What's her name than, again? Um, her name is Salome Hernandez. And she graduated from University of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And then Elizabeth Salas. Um, who we're also trying, I hope this podcast reaches far and wide, or trying to get a hold of her. <laughs> she lives in Washington State. We've left several messages. Um, Emma Perez, uh, and then Antonia Castaneda. Like those are the top 10. Wow. First 10, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to take this, the time while I have you on just to acknowledge those women, say their names, you know? Thank you. Naming is power, Absolutely. So uh, when we look at the project, uh, what do you want the lasting legacy to be of this particular project? Oh, there's like so many aspects to that. I first want it to continue, whether I am physically at Michigan or not, that it goes beyond me, right? That it continues, um, that it's well-funded, um, that it continues to collect oral histories, and that future generations of Chicana historians pick up the mantle and run with it, right? They continue with oral histories um, for the collection, but also we have other future researchers and scholars to use the archives and look at these interviews, scour the interviews and strategize about what it means to be a Chicana historian, but everything, all the different ways that they have shaped and changed American history. They have not only added to the historiography, but they have bent the historiography in women's studies, labor studies, um, borderlands history, Chicano Chicana history, like so many different aspects of U.S. history have been shaped by just in the 10 that I, you know, the, the top 10, like, like Antonia, Emma, you know, Dina, Camille, Vicky, all of these women have done incredible work in changing the historiography and shaping Chicano and Chicana history. And so there is not only the celebratory aspect of it, but also the let's continue the archives and let's continue the work um, so that we don't lose sight of the incredible contributions that these women have made, honestly. So here on the Empowerment Zone, we are big advocates for uh, higher education, and we want to give students the tools they need to succeed in college. So um, Dr. Lorena Chambers, uh, if you could give some students some advice on how to be strategic and succeed in college, what would that advice be? That is a great question. I am working right now with my students. Um, we have a great class. I titled it Race, Ethnicity, and the Business of Storytelling in American History. And I can tell you that we work on crafting their argument for their papers in every session. It is about writing well and thinking critically. 
those two skills honestly take us in whatever direction we go. We it, not just at, ac as academicians, but in any field that we want. It, learning how to create and develop an argument to be persuasive and to be able to accomplish what you want, whether it's a funding proposal, whether it's a proposal to for a script, uh, to create a movie, uh, to work in a nonprofit organization. All of these are designed to make sure that we're able to do good in the world, right? To accomplish what we need to. Um, so please do your readings, <laughs> think critically, <laughs> do your homework. Um, it's so easy to just kind of depend on your fellow students to carry the weight. Um, but it's really important to, to, to learn how to think critically um, and to write well and to develop those arguments. And if anything, that would be the, the most succinct piece of advice. I have tons of others, which would be like a whole other set of hours. Um, but you're spending a good amount of your life at the university, at college. And those are the skills that I would say will take you forever. Um, will take you further and forever to do well and to make change. And not only for yourself and your family, but for social justice and um, to really break down those institutional barriers, which trust me, believe me, you will find in every field, every field. That's uh, it. That's mm -hmm. it. You will find those challenges and these skills are the ways to um, to address those challenges effectively. Uh, make sure you read, read, read. Can't say enough about reading. Develop your skills in writing. Develop your skills in critical thinking and know how to develop your arguments. Because so, no matter what table you're uh, sitting, no matter where you're sitting, you have to make know how to make your argument. So Dr. Chambers, what school or schools did you attend? What were your majors or majors and degrees? So we can tell those students that you have been to college. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, Mr. Forrest Bingham decided I was going to be accepted at the School of Engineering at UCLA because he saw my transcript and saw all those classes. So I got accepted to the School of Engineering at UCLA. I did not stay in engineering because I wanted a very different quality of life. <laughs> so I became a historian and I became a history major um, as an undergraduate. And then at the University of Michigan, I was accepted into, which at the at the time was the top history program in the country. I was so proud. And I became a, a history individual there, a graduate student. And I focused on U.S. history. And now I do U.S. cultural history. I My expertise is in borderlands and Chicano and Chicana history. So I am proud to call myself a trained historian. You know, a lot of people love history. And it doesn't just mean you like use a source from 1923 and you automatically become a historian, right? There are very specific skills to becoming um, a historian to be able to understand the archives and what those archives mean for our work. And uh, I just wish more people were trained as historians because it will take you far and wide in a lot of different fields um, because of the skills that we're taught and that we have to practice. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your college experience as well as uh, giving us those great strategies for college success. 
Dr. Houston, this has been such a joy. It, we ran out of time so quickly, but um, kudos to you for spreading our voices far and wide. And thank you for all that you do. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song. NADWORKS, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 